We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. chapter 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Phil- so these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus." Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, "The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me invite you to take your seats. This morning we, uh, we have a special guest preacher. Every guest preacher is special. Uh, Pastor Wade Chan, that's kind of a terrible way to introduce somebody. You're special. Uh, does, you know, we're glad you're here. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, so Pastor Wade serves at Indelible Grace uh, Church, which is in Castro Valley. That is a sister church actually of Resurrection Oakland. One of the things you need to know about us is um, we're not just kind of this isolated, lone church. We're a Presbyterian church, actually. We don't put that in our name, and that's intentional because we're not just trying to gather people who are Presbyterian. Uh, and actually, many of you in this room wouldn't even claim to be Christian. We're actually trying to be a church for people who are convinced and unconvinced. Uh, but one of the things you need to know that's kind of unique about being a Presbyterian church is it means you're not just kind of this isolated church on an island. You're actually connected to other churches and your pastors are connected to other pastors. And we have kind of this accountability structure. And there's something really uh, wise about that because guess what? I am like all of you, pretty messed up. And so I need people in my life who, uh, who keep me on track and hold me accountable. So Pastor Wade serves at one of those churches. We are thrilled to have you this morning. He has a new baby. So if he falls asleep up here this morning, let's be gracious to him. Uh, but we're so glad you're here. Thanks for coming and preaching to us. Morning. Uh, I will try not to fall asleep on you. I, uh, I've seen people, I mean, it's regular occurrence for preachers. It's, uh, I see people fall asleep on me all the time. So uh, if you guys need to take a nap, totally understand. Um, it is good to be here. Um, I think I, I'm thankful to, to Brent for the uh, honor of being here. Um, we've actually known Brent for a few years since he was with RUF at Berkeley, and um, we're, we're thankful for Resurrection Oakland. Uh, they've been a friend to our church. Uh, Pastor Brent and Pastor Chase have spoken at our, at our church before, so um, we're thankful for the connection, and I'm thankful to be with you guys. This is actually the, uh, only the, the second time in the past year that I've been inside a building Um, for worship, which is pretty amazing. My church meets at a park, and one of the things we miss out on is we don't hear other people singing, 
And um, this is one of the best things about being in the church is you can hear other people sing. And um, you know what? To me, what's special about that is there are so many times that I don't believe what I'm singing. Um, I need to hear other people singing the words that I need to know. And um, yes, and you guys can experience that. And uh, you get to do it in this uh, place that's all right. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It looks like it belongs in a magazine. It does belong in a magazine. Um, so it's, it's so good to be here with you guys. Um, we looked at John 12 just a moment ago, and these are some of Jesus' final words as he speaks. He, this is uh, the final week of Jesus before he is crucified, and there's all this clamor around Jesus, and everyone is, wants to know what Jesus is about. They've, they've heard about this this. Uh, this man that speaks words that no one has heard before, this man that does things that they, no one has ever witnessed before. And today's passage begins with a group of Greeks who traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. And they, were, they find one of, one of Jesus' followers, and they tell him that they want to see this man, Jesus. This, this, this man who's caused such a stir among the pilgrims in Jerusalem. And the author of this gospel, John, he, he includes this detail about their ethnicity because it was a rare thing for non-Jews to be at the Passover celebration. The Passover cel celebration was the annual festival in which the Jews, they came together to celebrate their liberation from the Egyptians when they were slaves to them. And it was the Jews that understood the significance of Passover. The Jews were the direct beneficiaries of the events of Passover. And Passover was ingrained in the memory of everyone who called themselves a Jew. And the Passover, it, not just wasn't, it wasn't just a thing for them to remember. The Passover gave shape to their lives, to their society, to their culture. And even 1,400 years after this event, after the Exodus, this was the primary marker of the identity of the Jews. So this is why this little detail about the inclusion of the Greeks is notable. We're being told that the Gentiles, these Greeks, they're, they're looking for something also to give shape to their lives. And right before today's passage in, uh, in verse 19, the Pharisees mentioned that the world has gone after Jesus. The whole world has gone after Jesus, even though they don't really have an idea of who he is. And the commentators who commentate on this passage they, they speculate that the Greeks, they were, they're, they're admirers of Judaism. Um, perhaps they were actual converts. Um, and in this story, they're acting as representatives for the entire world. And they come with this request. We wish to see Jesus. They're looking for something. And their quest leads them to a person. They're not going to a list of, a reading list of, um, of philosophy. They're not looking for sage advice. They're not looking for, for strategies of enlightenment. They're looking for a person. And this is what sets the stage for us. And we all, we all want something, whether we know it or not. We all want something that will fulfill us, something that will give us shape to our lives, something that will be the primary identity marker for us. And if we don't follow Jesus yet, uh, I want to suggest to you this, and you may know this already, uh, you may have heard it, you're not looking for advice. 
you're not looking for a list of strategies to make your life better. You're looking for a person. And I hope the words in today's passage will, will further shape us if we do follow Jesus, if we do know Jesus, that as we read these words, as we, as we meditate on them, that we'll either find this person that we're looking for or that for those of us who follow this person, this, this man Jesus, that it will remind us and further shape who we are and what we do as a people. So uh, we're going to look at the text. My goal this morning is for us to consider how Jesus presents himself and what it means for our own lives. So two questions before us today. Why did Jesus come? And why am I here? What does Jesus' presence in my life mean for me? And these are the two things we'll consider today. So I have two points in today's sermon. Number one, the hour. Number two, the honor. The hour and the honor. So our first point is this, the hour. So word gets to Jesus about the request of the Greeks, and if you've ever listened to the words of Jesus, you know that he can be frustrating, he can be confounding, and he doesn't answer questions directly. Verse 23, he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He doesn't answer the Greeks directly. In the early stage of Jesus' ministry, there's an account of Jesus turning water into wine. You might remember this. This is the wedding at Cana. And Mary tells him, his, his mother, he tells him, um, we've run out of wine. And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, he says this. He replies with something that, that seems out of place given the situation. He tells his mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And then later on, at the Feast of Tabernacles, his brothers, they urge Jesus to glorify himself by performing miracles because they think, Jesus, if you perform miracles and people, they'll see who you really are. And again, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. And then just a few episodes before today's passage, there are the authorities who've been keeping an eye on Jesus. And the text tells us that they don't arrest him because his time or his hour had not yet come. So throughout the life of Jesus, he's been aware of this moment. Whatever this hour is, his hour has not yet come. And he doesn't explain what this hour is either until this passage in John 12. Uh, John 12. The Jewish hearers, they, they've been living under Roman oppression um, all, this year, all these years. And when they hear this, when they hear that Jesus says, um, now my hour has come, what they're thinking is, Oh, here comes our leader. We're going to go in with trumpets blasting. We are going to go in with a show of force to overcome our Roman oppressors. That's what they want. But this is not it. So what is this hour? What's this hour? Andy War War Warhol, he has this quote. Um, it's well known. He says that everyone has their 15 minutes of fame. Everyone has their 15 minutes of fame. And it's this idea that everyone at some point in their lives is going to have a moment when all eyes are going to be on them, when people will be able to say, wow, look at that person. Amazing. And the hearers in this story, they're thinking that Jesus' hour means that it's, it's his time to shine when all eyes are going to be on him, and he's going to blow them away with some amazing display of power. 
years ago, I was in New York City, and I was uh, with a friend, and we were walking to dinner, and we walked by Radio Music City Hall, and um, as we were walking by, there was this huge crowd, hundreds of people just standing around, so we were like, what's, what's going on? And um, unbeknownst to us, it was the MTV Music Video Awards. So we, of course, uh, we had some time on our hands, and we joined the crowd just to see what was happening, and we were there for maybe 20 minutes, and um, celebrity after celebrity after celebrity came in. We got to see these people in person. Uh, some, some of the names, I'm going to name drop. I don't know these people personally, but uh, maybe this might impress you. Um, Black Eyed Peas, uh, Lil Wayne, we saw Jared Leto, Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, Rihanna, J-Lo, this was uh, with one of her previous husbands, um, and of course, Queen Bee herself, Beyonce. We were like 50 feet away from them. People were screaming their names, they were going crazy, they were taking pictures, and all for these celebrities. And these men and women, uh, they, they worked hard to get to where they were. They sacrificed, they made the right connections, they did everything in their power to get to moments like these, where there are ca cameras taking pictures of them, where people are screaming out their names, where they would look good and be admired and be recognized for what they do. And I suspect that many of these celebrities, they would say that this is why they do what they do. It's for the fame, it's for the, the recognition, it's for the riches, perhaps. And maybe they can say that they've made something of themselves. And you know what this is? This is glory. These people are being glorified. If you're not into pop culture, uh, you might think in terms of an athlete standing on the Olympic podium. You, you might see this in a few months during the Olympics. Or perhaps a CEO ringing the bell at the stock exchange the day that their, their company goes public. Some of you may have attended the, the parades for the Giants or the Warriors after they, won their, after they won the World Series or the championships. And when we experience these things, when we see these things, this is what we're thinking. That this is the time to shine. This is our idea of what it means to shine. This is what we think of when it, we think of the hour as the people in today's passage are thinking. So Jesus says, my time has come. My time has come. But this is not a time for Jesus to be applauded. It's not a time for him to be, to reap the rewards of all that he's done. Jesus is speaking of an hour that's opposite of what everyone else is thinking. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What is Jesus saying here? He's comparing himself to a kernel of wheat that's going to be sown into the ground, that's going to be buried, and this is going to bring a harvest. And Jesus says, this is what my hour is. This is what glory for me is going to look like. And what is central to that? It's death. Rather, to be, rather than being set on a pedestal to be applauded, Jesus is going to be brought low. He's going to be humiliated. And Jesus knows that the death that, that awaits him is going to be a shameful death. 
death on a Roman cross, which was meant for the worst criminal offenders. Now, how can this be glorification? How can this be Jesus' hour? How is it glorification for, for Jesus to be stripped of all his dignity, where people would turn their eyes away in disgust? This is what the prophet Isaiah tells us, that the people that saw Jesus could not look at Jesus because they were so put off, they were so offended, they were so disgusted by the sight of Jesus. How is this glorification? When we think about that question, I think we, when we look at the text, we're being told this, that the glory that really matters is nothing like the glory that we think of. It's not what our culture thinks of when we think of glory. And yet, to God, this is what glory is. Humiliation, shame, death. And Jesus says this, a grain of wheat is going to die. It's going to be sown into the ground. And this imagery of wheat, it, it, this helps us understand what he means by glorification. The only way that wheat or grain, a grain of wheat can produce more wheat is by dying. By being placed into the ground with the purpose of sprouting and yielding a harvest. If I were to hold a grain of wheat in my hand, the glory of the grain is not to be admired, it's not to sit in a silo and just be pretty along with all its other grain friends. The glory of the grain is to be put in the ground, it's propagation, it's to reproduce, to, to bear fruit, as Jesus puts in this passage. A kernel of wheat must die. And to be glorified means that whatever it is that we're looking at is revealed for what it really is. So what is Jesus really? And what is this glorification that he speaks of? In, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he does not seek his own glory, but he seeks the glory of his Father. And how does he do that? His glory is by submitting to what the Father has called him to do. The glory of Jesus is for him to carry out the mission that he was sent for. And his ultimate purpose was so that he would die and that there would be much life as a result of his death. It would be, could be, it would be so that all people, for you and me, that we would have life. The commentator D.A. Carson puts it this way, like the seed whose death is the germination for a great crop, so Jesus' death generates a plentiful harvest. The seed is thereby vindicated, the son is thereby glorified. And what he's saying is this, by dying like the seed, Jesus is fulfilling his purpose, and the greatness and the truth of who Jesus is is made known. This is glorification. This is who I really am. Do you want to see the glorified Jesus? See the Jesus that is murdered, who's stripped of his dignity. That is glory. And we have to ask, why is this necessary? Why did Jesus have to die? It's because of you and me. Every one of us was created for a purpose. Our purpose is to know God, is to worship him. But we distorted that purpose 
And instead of loving God, we love ourselves, do we not? I love myself. Uh, I love myself way more than I, I should. Instead of trusting him, we trust ourselves. Maybe you're like me. I trust myself a whole lot. Uh, my wife will tell you that, and uh, she will confirm that I'm wrong very often. Instead of looking to him for life and joy, we look to everything else but God for life and joy. And the natural consequence of this is death. When we look for, for life and joy and truth in anything apart from God, what's the natural consequence? It is death because everything else will lead to death. Whenever we look for life apart from the only source of life, what does that mean? It means that we'll find death. And the gospel says that we are condemned to that death with no way of escape. There is no way for us out. Except for one. It required that the son submit to the father. The father sent Jesus to live the life of worship and trust that we could not live and he died the death that we earned for ourselves. Jesus took the punishment upon him. And he died. And like this grain of wheat, he died so that you and I would live. And if you want to know glory, if you want to know true glory, you'll never know it unless you'll f you fulfill your purpose. What is your purpose in life? Jesus fulfilled his purpose so that we could fulfill ours. Listen to this passage, this verse in 1 Timothy 1. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why Jesus came. Because you needed a rescue. So this is the first point. This was Jesus' hour. Jesus' hour is to be stripped of all his dignity. It's to die. This is the hour of Jesus. And our second point, our honor. So if you continue on in verse 25 and 26, this is what Jesus says. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servants also. So Jesus, he's spoken of his life, and now he tells his listeners to look at their own lives. And you have two options. There are two things that you can do with your life. You can either love your life, or you can lose your life. To love your life is to hold it as precious. It's holding our lives, our preferences, and our safety, and our comforts, and our fulfillment as the highest good. Isn't this what we hear in our culture today? Do you not hear this? Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Fulfill your desires. And even if you don't buy into that message, before you think that you don't fall for that message, before you think that you don't love your own life all that much, let me ask you a few, ask you a few questions. Is your natural tendency to downgrade or upgrade the things in your life? And if it's the latter, why do you do that? Given the choice, would you buy a smaller home 
in a less affluent neighborhood when your financial means increase? When was the last time you bought a cheaper, not as nice item, whether it be a car or a piece of clothing or fill in the blank? When was the last time you bought something cheaper so you would have more resources to spend on blessing others? Are you annoyed when things don't go your way? Do you lash out? How much does your reputation matter to you? Do you care about what people think of you? Do you get anxious or upset when someone thinks negatively of you? When was the last time you chose not to defend yourself when you were unjustly accused of something? When you think of the future, do you think of how you need to save and invest so that you and your children won't have to worry about safety and comfort or inconvenience? Or put another way, when you think of the future, do you think of what you need to do so that you don't have to trust God down the road? And how you answer these questions will tell you, do you love your life? Do you love your preferences and your, the fulfillment of your desires? And Jesus says this, lose your life. Lose your life just as I have. Don't love your life. A couple years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the Howard Stern Show, and they were talking about death, and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's uh, 70, 72 or 73 years old. Um, we don't know how much longer he has. He has maybe 10 years, 15 years if he takes care of himself. But at some point, Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to die, just like you're going to die, just like I'm going to die, and no matter how much he works out, it's going to happen. And this is what he says about death. I'm not afraid of death. I'm just PO'd about it. It is upsetting. I'm so angry about it. I'm furious about it. Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's referring to physical death, obviously. But his sentiment is in line with what most of us might think about death. Because life is precious. Because death is evil. Because it's wrong. And this is why he's upset. This is why he's angry. And so is God. And that's why one day God is going to kill death forever. But here Jesus, he's talking about a type of death that I think we can, all, we can also apply Schwarzenegger's word, words to. When Jesus calls us to lose our lives, there's something in us that says, I'm so upset by that. I'm so angry that I can't live the type of life that I want. I'm furious about it. I'm angry about it. Have you ever thought that when life didn't go your way? Why would you think that way? It's because you love your life. And this is one of the things we need to understand about following Jesus. That following Jesus doesn't mean that we'll always do, we'll want to do what he asks us to do. Take, for example, your desire to live a certain type of lifestyle. Maybe you want to have a prestigious or lucrative career. Maybe you want to associate with people in certain so social circles. You might want to live according to certain ethical principles that seem right to you. 
You might want to live in a certain zip code with people of a certain socioeconomic level. And there's nothing wrong or immoral about these things necessarily. But what if Jesus were to tell you to give them up? What if he were to tell you, lose your life? The follower of Jesus, if you really believe him, if you really trust him, if you really understood that Jesus is for you, the follower of Jesus can say this, it hurts to give this up. This doesn't fit into the plans that I made for my life. This goes against all my feelings and emotions. I hate this. And yet I will let them go for the sake of Jesus. I'll let them go for the sake of Jesus. Consider this. Often our wishes and desires are given to us not to be fulfilled, but to be sacrificed, to be laid before the feet of Jesus. And this is your act of worship to God. And doesn't this run contrary to everything that our culture tells us? Culture tells us that we deserve to live at a certain level of comfort. Culture tells us it's okay to follow your heart. It's okay to follow your dreams. It's okay to trust yourself. But what if Jesus were to tell you, I want you to give those things up. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? Jesus is worth to you as much as you're willing to sacrifice and give up for him. You can sing the songs. You can say the words. But how much is Jesus worth to you? And Jesus is saying here, that he deserves every aspect of your life more than you deserve your own life. Maybe you've worked hard to build yourself up. Maybe you've done a whole lot to develop the, the type of the lifestyle that you have. And maybe you even deserve it. But do you know who deserves it more? Jesus says, follow him rather than your own heart. Trust him rather than trusting yourself. And what are we called to do? What are we called to do? We're called to death. We're called to death for the sake of others. Like the grain of wheat that Jesus talks about, we are to die so that others would live. I look at what you guys are doing here at this church, and I, 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 during the announcements, um, one of the things you guys are doing is this. You're, you're loving and serving Oakland. How is Oakland going to be loved? How is Oakland going to be served? If you're a Jesus follower, he's calling you to give of yourself so that others will learn to follow Jesus. And I'm certain that there are many here in this room, many that are watching online, that have sacrificed in order to build up this church and this community. And thank God for you. You've given of your time and your resources and you've given up opportunities. You've let them pass by in order for the gospel work to be done here in Oakland. 
you may have committed to the church even though it's challenging to fit in. You may have swallowed your pride so that you can love and serve alongside members of different political leanings, perhaps. This is the grace of God on this church, that there are people at Resurrection Oakland who are willing to hate their life. And what if this were true of all of us? What could be accomplished? Our purpose as followers of Jesus is to give ourselves up. God's intent for our lives is for us to take up our cross and die to ourselves, die to our preferences, die to our love of safety and predictability, die to the need to be right and respected. When God calls us to do something, he always calls us to to do something that requires self-denial. And if there's not some level of difficulty and painful sacrifice in your life, then you're not living the life that God has called you to. And this is why Jesus uses such stark language. Jesus knows how difficult it's going to be. But do our lives reflect a God-given purpose of death and hatred of our own lives? It sounds really harsh. It sounds dark. It sounds tough. And maybe it is, but there's more to it. In verse 26, Jesus says this, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I want us to think about this idea of honor for a second. To be honored means that you're held in high regard. It means that people look at you and they say, that person is a reputable person. That is a respectable person. And this is what we all want. We all want this, don't we? I want it. And we're always curating our image. Consider our social media accounts. Um, I don't know if, you're, uh, if you remember the original Facebook. Um, I, I, I got my Facebook account back in 2006 or 2007, and uh, it was completely different back then. And um, I can barely remember it now. And the reason why is this. In 2011, Facebook changed the format of the pages on its site. And if you, were remem- if you remember uh, Facebook back in the day, if you had your own account, um, you might remember that there was this huge uproar about the changes that were being implemented. People wanted the old format. But Facebook, of course, they're not going to listen to their customers, so they're going to do what they want to do. They, they changed the format, and from then on, your page featured a timeline. Everyone's page featured a timeline. And the marketing said that the timeline was, this is Facebook's quote, The timeline was a new way to express who you are. Social media is a new way to express who you are. And over the years, social media morphed from a method of communication to a way to express your identity. It's happened so much so that now we can barely remember what it was like 10 years ago. Mike Cosper says this about social media. Our presence on social media is a story we're telling about who we are. It's all about the, the editing. What we share and don't share on social media is shaped by how we want the world to see us. Easily managed, easily edited lives. On social media platforms, we're glorifying ourselves. We want to be honored. We want people to recognize us and applaud us and acknowledge everything that we've done And this, again, goes against everything that Jesus says about losing your life. 
Because do you know what? There's nothing sexy about giving up your desires. There's nothing cool about presenting the struggles and difficulties of following Jesus. But to follow Jesus means that we don't concern ourselves with how we look, with how we present ourselves to the world. Who do you follow? Jesus, who was a man of no reputation. And that means that we don't have to seek the approval of others. Why not? Because if we faithfully follow the Lord Jesus, we will have that approval that really matters. And our passage promises that God will honor us. Verse 26, again, Jesus says this, Where I am, there will be my servant also. Yes, Jesus did die. We need to remember that. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus was resurrected. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus ascended into glory. And this is where he now reigns. Jesus says, where I am, there will be my servant also. This is where you're going. If you have followed Jesus into death, there's so much more to the story than that. You will be where Jesus is You will be raised to life. Ephesians 2, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will be glorified. You will be honored. Colossians 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You're going to appear with Jesus in glory. In 1 Peter 1, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is your guarantee. This is your promise. If you die to yourself, this is what's going to happen. That every sacrifice you've ever made for him will be vindicated. Every act of self-denial, every painful act of worship every moment you spent serving the least of these, every time you struggled through the doubts and confusion, and you'll see that one day, every step we took in the footsteps of Jesus was worth it. This is your purpose. This is your glory. Because we died in this life, we will have life in the next. A.M. Hunter says this, it has been said that the that the follow me is the whole of the Christian's duty, and to be where Christ is, is the whole of his reward. Follow Jesus, and you will be rewarded. Don't you want to be honored by God? You will be if you follow Jesus. If you lose your life, because he lost his life for you, so you can lose your life for him. Will you pray with me? Father, what a a fearful thing it is to give our lives into your your hands because we don't know what you're going to do with it. You're going to ask us to die to ourselves and what's on the other side of that death? There might be pain. There might be uncertainty. But there's also glory. There's also honor, God. So I pray that you would give in us, put in us this desire this, this uh, willingness to give ourselves to you just as Christ gave himself for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.